Brother Garber and uh, Edwin. Edwin. I don't mind the call. Oh, come, come here. Otherwise, people don't want to come forward.
verse as well. <coughs> All right. verses were said. Thank <laughs> you. 
Chorus 3 is the final. everyone here this morning. It's um, been a long while since we gathered together in a church building, but I think we all enjoy being close together like this. Um, are there any greetings before we start? Thank you, Sister Smilia. Please extend greetings. Thank you, Stildy. Likewise, extend our greetings. Thank you, Sister Emma. Extend our greetings too. Many, many of you are aware that this week is Eastern Camp this coming Sunday, um, so many of us will not be here. I understand we have about 33 or so from Toronto going to Eastern Camp, which is, I'm not sure if it's a record or not, but it's pretty, pretty close. So we will be looking for greetings to take along with us, if there are any. Thank you. Um, thank you. Thank you. Um, having said that, there's no CFG on Wednesday, it's being cancelled, and um, <coughs> pardon? This coming Wednesday or next Wednesday? Sorry, sorry, the weekend of the camp. I'm sorry. Yeah, the following, the following week. This we- this Wednesday is a Bible study, correct? Yes. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah. So there will be a Bible study at CFG this Wednesday. The following Wednesday during camp, there will be no CFG because of the. Most and then the following one would be the camp review. We'll have a camp sharing night the following week after camp. Um, there's been some discussion as to whether we meet in Richmond Hill um, on the 29th, on the 22nd, should I say, because uh, I think we said the fourth weekend of of each month. However, however, I'm not sure if we're are we going to be organised for that, you know, with these lunches and things like that. So should we defer it? 
should we defer the week to the 29th? I think uh, we were actually gathering the last. Uh, that's what we did in, I think, March or April when it, there was five weeks we were on the last. I thought that was our pattern. Okay. So anyway, regardless of what we said, 29th, if we can gather 29th in Richmond Hill, uh, I, I think also give time for their members to get back too. They may be on vacation and so forth, and ours will be too, so some may extend their holiday. So let's make it the, the, the following week after camp, which is the 29th of July, that we gather. <clears throat> Those that ordered a memory book, there's still some that didn't pay for it. Check on the list uh, whether you be paid. Thank you. Any other greetings? I forgot, well, I, I extended greetings on Wednesday. I was in Mansfield the weekend before for the baptism, and the church extended greetings as well. Um, any update on Brother Paul Mueller, the pathological test? Um, not test results, just that he was home maybe five days after surgery, right. and he said to Elsa, don't give up my room, I'm coming to camp. Right, right, right. <laughs> so... Yeah, we were we we were at the his house on Sunday uh, last week, and uh, he did have a um, staples right across his head. It was easiest way to to operate. He had like a blood clot. We're not sure if it was caused by a lesion or a tumor, but they're waiting for those results. So, so please keep him continue to keep him in prayer. If there's nothing else, before we uh, look into God's word, let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we pause this morning now to give thee thanks and praise, though indeed art worthy. And uh, we thank thee for the beautiful singing that thou hast provided for us, may it be for your honour and glory and for our edification. Bless the word as it goes forth, uh, despite the, the vessel through whom it comes. Father, we pray that thou would open each and every heart, and especially those that have not yet made that covenant with thee. Uh, move amongst us, touch and break up the fallow ground, and may much fruit come of the seed that is sown. Throughout this day, throughout thy churches, we pray and ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, with the Lord's help, I'd like to turn this morning to the uh, Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 15. I'd like to start reading from verse 21. Matthew chapter 15, beginning to read at verse 21. Then Jesus went and departed into the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of, of Canaan came out from the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed and with a devil. But he answered her not, 
a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, if the dogs of the, eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table, then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. I have read up to verse 18 and included. Last week I was at the um, <coughs> baptism of one soul in Mansfield. And in his testimony, he said he started off his, I guess, life, at least maybe not as a child, but maybe later on in his teenage years, where he began to be, uh, be an agnostic or an atheist. I can't remember the exact word he used. He didn't believe in God. And so he decided to go his own way and do his own thing. And he got himself into a lot of trouble. And um, he heard voices in his head. He began to hear some voices in his head which really made him unsettled. And he went out and partied and he decided to go and do drugs with his friend. Instead of going to church on a Sunday, he went with his friend and he went into a basement and they decided to smoke it up. And... All that he can remember was that he woke up or got up with a chipped tooth and his friend was gone. And he began to feel this terrible, terrible fear and voices and uh, I can't remember the exact words that, that he talked about. Then he called up his friend and he says, Why did you leave me for? Why, what, what happened? He said, You began to freak me out with what you said, what you were saying. What you were saying, it was de devilish. Um, in the middle of that episode, he had screamed out, when he heard this voice again, he had screamed out, if I'm not mistaken now from my memory, God help me. This atheist, this agnostic, screamed out in the middle of his torment, God help me. And this is exactly what this Canaanitish woman did. She was so desperate, she was possessed with a demon. She, regardless of the, of the rejection of the disciples, she followed Christ and... She, she cried out to him, Lord, help me. Now this is, this is quite a puzzling, or not, I wouldn't say puzzling, but an unusual situation. And 
<coughs> what is unusual about this? First of all, this woman was not Jewish. She never really had the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in her upbringing, apparently. She came from the coast, it said here, of Tyre and Sidon. And when, when the Bible talks about coasts, we often think about the seashore and the water and the land. But that's, that's not what it's speaking about. Here it's speaking about, when it talks about coasts, it's talking about the parts of, the, or the sections of, or the borders. In another translation, it talks about the borders of. So there's some delineation as to where the territory starts and ends. And um, she was from Canaan, it says. She was Canaanite. If you look at the other gospel, she was Canaanitish. And um, so, she was a Gentile. And probably, coming from a background, at least her family or forebears, were pagan. They worshipped other gods. But she approached Christ. And first of all, she said unto him, O Lord, O Lord, you know, when you say, O oh Lord, you are placing that person in a position of lordship. That that person is your master, is your governor, and you are that person's subject or servant. And then she said, you're the son of David. And you say, well, where did she get that from? Where did she get, first of all, Lord, and then you're the son of David? And what was, what was that term? What did that mean to the Jews? You're son of David. It was really a messianic term. Remember, David was supposed to be in the, in the lineage. And Christ was supposed to be in the lineage of David. And there was many Davidic promises. The covenant that God will make through David, who was from the line, or from the tribe of Judah, and Jesus became the lion of the tribe of Judah. So she cried out in a messianic call. And she believed that she, he was Lord. He was her master. That's a very unusual way that someone that didn't was likely not from a background of Jewish upbringing and the law of Moses for someone to come and to cry unto the Lord Jesus. But that that was not the only case. We we read in we read in uh, the other gospels there was the case of the centurion that had a ch a child that was sick. How he how he went and sent for Jesus to heal his dying son. And he said, I'm not even worthy to be called your... I'm not even worthy for you to come into my house. Just speak the word. This became very annoying to the, the disciples. And she said... And, and they said, send her away, for she cries after us. They couldn't get to Christ. She maybe couldn't get to Christ immediately, so they were bothering the disciples to, to get attention and send her away. Just 
The disciples were quite like that. They didn't want any fuss or mess. Remember the kids that came to Christ and they were telling them to get away. Don't bother the, don't bother the Saviour. He has more important things to do. And what did Jesus say? He said, Suffer the little ones, the little children, to come unto me. For of such is the kingdom of God. So, we see Christ here saying, saying the truth, as he always did. And he said, um, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I've come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That was his mission. He would come to his people. He came unto his own. And what does the scripture say? His own received him not. He came for them. But he said also in John chapter 10, he said, and I have sheep, other sheep of another fold. And he was speaking of the Gentiles. But it wasn't his main function or duty or, or, or mission, should I say, to come to bring the Gentiles to God. That he left to the apostles. But he didn't turn anyone away. And you, look, you can read in, in, in John chapter 6, those that came to him, but they came not with faith, but with other motives. He says, you didn't come unto me because of the miracles. You, became, you came to me because you did eat and were filled. And he says, those that come to me, and I can, let me read that, because this, this is a very... Um, this chapter in John chapter 6 is very much linked with what uh, we are reading in, in, in Matthew 15. In John chapter 6, this is after Jesus had fed the 5,000 on the other side of the lake of Galilee and they, he then crosses the lake and they follow him around the lake and they're looking for him everywhere. And... Um, He told them that you didn't come to me because of the miracles, but because you were filled. He said, and all, so he, he says, but I said unto you that ye shall, ye also have seen me and believe not to these people to whom he just fed. You've seen me. You saw my miracles, but you don't believe. And then he said, all that the Father gives me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. So, he was this Canaanitish woman. In another chapter, the, uh, the Canaanitish woman that came was called the, a Syrophoenician. These, these were from Phoenicia, ancient Phoenicia. And that was the town, the towns that were mentioned, Tyre and Sidon. This Canaanite woman came. God had touched her heart somehow. God worked with the Holy Spirit through, throughout the ages. But God had touched her heart and opened her heart that she could call him Lord and Son of David. Remember when uh, Jesus stopped in the middle of probably the desert between uh, Jerusalem and Damascus on the, on the way to uh, was it Antioch or Philippi. And there, or Caesarea Philippi, should I say, and there he asked, who do men say that I am? 
And some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're a prophet. Some, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And what was the response by Jesus? He says, Verily I say unto you that flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. So there's no question in my mind that God had touched the heart of this woman. And we're going to get into the nature of that. How does that happen? We may not know all the answers, but there are indications in the scripture on how God can move the hearts of those that eventually come to him. There's another situation we, uh, we're all familiar with um, in uh, Acts chapter 10. Remember Peter was summoned in a vision at the same time as Cornelius was summoned in a vision by God, and he revealed unto him the, 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 the sheep to Peter coming down from heaven. And three times he heard the voice saying, Peter, slay and eat. And Peter would three times say, Lord, but nothing has entered in my mouth that was unclean or common. And the voice came back and said, you know, Peter, whatever God has cleansed, call not thou common. And he got a message out of that. And... Cornelius was waiting because he had sent these, I think, five men to him and they brought him from Joppa to Caesarea and there, when he, they had met, it all came clear to Peter what God was trying to do. And he gave that big speech and sermon there in front of them and, and in his report back to the disciples of Jerusalem, he even said that, you know, God is not a, a respecter of person, but God in every nation... Now let me read that so I don't I haven't read it for a while. Acts chapter ten. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So we had these intermittent experiences amongst the Gentiles. And you remember that you remember that God had told Peter that and, and your name is Peter, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. What are keys meant for? Open doors. Peter opened the door to the Gentiles. Peter opened the door to the Jews. And God used Peter in this way. Not, that, not to become the Pope of Rome, but to open the doors of the kingdom to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And God gave, Christ gave command to His, to his disciples uh, before He ascended. He says, you know, you will start in Jerusalem and Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth you'll go and you'll preach My name. And it started in trickles. But that ended up in, in currents of people coming to Christ. So we have in Matthew 15 this woman that somehow her heart was stirred because she could see her desperate situation. She had faith. Jesus said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it even unto thee as thou wilt. As you will. As you want. So the question comes in 
Because we hear a lot about faith today. We hear about the faith movement. We hear about um, saving faith. We hear about faith that will move mountains. We hear about faith that is the size of a mustard seed. But what is that faith that Christ is talking about? You know, we've often preached before that in the Old Testament it did not appear that faith was a a major theological topic. It only appeared twice. The word faith itself only appeared twice. Once in a negative sense in Deuteronomy 32 and once in Habakkuk, the prophet Habakkuk, where he talked about the, the just shall live by faith and which was quoted two or three times in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. That was it. The Jews did not have really this word, but the concept was there, because you can go to Hebrews chapter 11, and look, all of a sudden, like the writer to Hebrew just rolls away the veil, and he, and he shows you what's, what was beneath all of this, the acts, the works, the deeds, what was behind all of it. He starts with... Um, Abel's offering. By faith he offered a more uh, excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith Enoch was translated. Um, By faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. Moved with fear. By faith Abraham when he was called to go into a place which he should afterward receive. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. Um, through faith, also Sarah herself received and conceived, uh, received strength and conceived seed. And you, you go through uh, Isaac and 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 uh, Jacob and Joseph and David and, and and Samson, and these are all all their works were done through faith. So, what is that faith? Well, Hebrews eleven says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It is pointless to argue with an evolutionist on his terms. To say, to to, to argue on the basis of science the existence of God. God has not given us a formula which they are seeking. They want a formula and they just came across what this... This what they call the God particle. This recent discovery, this humongous thing. All it does is say is, you know, this is what may explain gravity. It still doesn't describe or prove the not or disprove the existence of God. That God actually formed this God particle. That's why they call it the God particle. At least that's why I think so. But you, it is pointless. It is pointless to try to go on their ground to to prove or disprove God. Because it says it's the evidence of things not seen. Does it mean it's irrational? Does it mean that faith is is just a stab in the dark? It's irrational? You You can't talk rationally about faith? Absolutely not. Faith is in, in the, the uh, margin in my Bible, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the proving of things not seen. It's an assurance. But, but that, that, um, that faith 
that is described in the Bible is something that is really personal within each and every, every one of us. And that's only something that God can reveal to us which you cannot define by an equation. You cannot define that with scientific equations. When God finally grants to us that understanding, that will... And, and, and you see that faith is not an irrational position. Um, let me just go to one more verse before we move out of Hebrews 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. This is very important. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, whether you believe it or not. But that all that come to God must believe that He is. So you can be a Muslim, a Jew, a Baha'i, whatever you want. You believe in a God, it's not good enough. It's a start. If you believe in God, of creator of heaven and earth, it's a start. He's, it's, it's just the beginning. The Jews believed in the God of heaven and earth. They did. They believed in Him. But there's a difference between believing in His existence and having this, this head knowledge but not fulfilling the, the, the whole definition of what faith really is. And I, and I challenge us today... And that we examine ourselves, as Hebrews, as Second uh, Corinthians thirteen says, and says, examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. This is not the faith. There it doesn't mean in the church, in this church. That's not what it means. Whether you be in the body of Christ, yes. Whether you be in the true faith of Jesus Christ, and it's not a church building. So, I believe that every one of us, every human being that came to this earth uh, through birth or through creation has this knowledge. Has some form of knowledge of the existence of God. Romans 1 goes to the nth degree to describe that. We've read it over and over again. They believed but they says, but they didn't want to retain him in his in their knowledge. They believed the awareness, or, or there was an existence of God. But there's there's more to that than just an awareness that there is some other higher power. If you look into First Timothy chapter two, it talks about God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what to the knowledge of the truth. And there's your first. There's the first clue. Faith is based on knowledge. It talks about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. We we do have a knowledge. This woman had a knowledge of God. You know the Jews, the Romans were living amongst the Jews, and the the, the Gentile nations were mingling with the Jews. They had some form of knowledge. The the uh, the centurion. Uh, Cornelius was living among the Jews. He gave, he gave alms and this became a memorial before God. God remembered what the, the centurion did. There was a centurion that built a synagogue for the Jews, if I'm not mistaken. And, 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 and he was somewhat touched by the life of these Jews. There's, there, there is a message going forth. There is witness to God's existence. There is witness 
to Christ's divinity. And so we have this knowledge, but it's not the only thing. We have this knowledge, we have this thing that, yeah, I can go along with it. I, can, I, I have mental assent, agreement. I have mental agreement. Yeah, I can see that happening. There are many people today that do believe that there is a God. They, they cannot accept the fact that we came out of nothing. That there was a creator. And there may be those, what they call, um, what do they call that? Um, uh, design. What do they call that? Intelligent design. There is this intelligent design because you can see amongst the creation this, these patterns that could only come from a designer. Some of them may not believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, but they believe in an intelligent design. That doesn't save you. That's just the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Beginning of understanding. Hebrews 6 says that, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. There is seeking involved. I do not believe for a moment that that God just zaps people and says, you're a believer and you're not. That's not, the, that's not the tenure of Scripture. Throughout all of Scripture, that is not the pattern or the underlying sense of what Scripture is saying, that, that you are zapped and that you are saved and you're not, because you're not elected. There is a cooperation, which, which many say, well, that's works. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. There is a cooperation, and that cooperation is, is that when God leads, we follow. When God shows us something, we respond. When, when um, this man in, in Mansfield, when he was totally going against God, and God gave him an opportunity, God put the, this, this, this terrible fear, or allowed this terrible fear to go through him, that he said, God help me. Who else, was, who else was like that? Peter, right? Walking on the water, saw the, war, the waves, the wind, boisterous, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, the, the hand reaching out to Christ is not a work. The hand reaching out to Christ is a plea for God or Christ to grab you and save you from sinking. But... This, this mental or this, this understanding in our minds or knowledge that God gives us and He gives to every man that comes into the world for, uh, John 1, nine says for He, this is speaking of John speaking about who the Christ was He didn't say He was John the Baptist and so forth, He said, but this is that true light that comes into the world that lights every man that comes into the world God gave that knowledge of good and evil to Adam and Eve when they eat, ate of that fruit in the garden. God gives us that knowledge of good and evil, this sense of moral uh, morality to every man that comes into the world. Now what you do with that little eye is really going to determine where you go. God is mighty to save. God can save you from the worst predicament, but the question is, do you want Him to save you? Do you want Him to save you?
John 3 says that, that light is come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. They knew the difference. They preferred, they chose one over the other. Because it satisfied them here and now. It fulfilled their lusts. It fulfilled their desires. Here it says that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. Jesus, Matthew 7, about eight chapters before the one we read, what did He say? He says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And this is the promise. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and he that seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. There's a promise. Don't, don't think that you can forget about it and just go to your to the beach and lie in the sun and God's going to answer your prayers there. That's what Brother George uh, Bob Freund did once. He decided to skip church at a very early age. He said, I'm going to go to the beach and have some fun with his or whatever beach or whatever. But there, he said he got a bad stroke of sunstroke and he ended up in hospital with a coma. Is that right? And in the coma, he heard the doctors telling him or discussing that he looks very serious. I don't know, if going to, you know whether he's going to live or not. There's, there's, this, there's this feeling that he may not survive and that really shook him up. He could hear that. They thought he was sleeping. God is gracious enough to seek you out. God is gracious enough. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, Second Peter 3 says. All should come to repentance. So God will lay opportunities for us he is a seeking God, but He will not force us to love Him. He will not force us to believe in Him. Because forced love is not love at all. Forced love is not love at all. So, we have this knowledge, and you can read it in several, in several instances where it talks about coming to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 8, you know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. In John chapter 17, he says, sanctify them with thy truth, thy word is truth. So we see that faith is fed by truth. The more we listen to truth, the more it increases our faith. And isn't that that what uh, Romans 10 talks about? How shall they believe except someone be sent? Unless they, there's someone to preach to them? He says, therefore faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, I'm sure that there's other ways of faith, but definitely faith comes by hearing. When you listen to the word of God and you, you really seek to, to know the meaning of it, not to, not to try to pick out as the Jews did, why they shouldn't believe it, but rather to say, there is a ring of truth in this. I'm going to follow this. God says I need to pray. 
I need to seek out God by praying. So you seek Him by praying, you seek Him through the Word, you, you seek Him by asking other believers. There's many, many ways that the Word of God can come to our heart through experiences, but it eventually is that God will reveal to you the truth and that truth will make you free. It's not a mechanical process. It's something that has to be done, but but the mechanics alone will not do it. The Word of God says that he that trembles at my word, he that is of a broken heart, a broken and a contrite spirit, him will I receive. And when we humble ourselves to say, God, reveal to me, I'm, I, I, I don't know anything. I'm just a human. And you're willing to accept His Word no matter what. God will reveal it. And the process with that seeking, searching, and God's interaction with, thy, with His Holy Spirit will give you that faith that is able to save. That faith which is able to save. In, uh, in Romans chapter 4, a whole chapter was devoted to grace versus works. Salvation by faith through grace versus salvation through works. A whole chapter. And it says that Abraham was justified by faith because he believed God imputed to him righteousness. The whole, the, the, the whole pursuit of man should be to be made right with God. And we are made right with God by having our sins forgiven and believing him. And his word. And when we believe him and his word, we believe everything that he says. You know, faith is not just a mental assent, not just a mental agreement, but it's actually casting ourselves on Christ, on that rock. Remember, Christ said, If anyone casts himself upon me, he'll be broken. But if anybody doesn't, do that, then God, Christ is going to cast Himself upon them, upon them, and grind them to powder. This this saving faith involves casting everything, all your all your fears, all your cares, all your future, all your life into the hands of God. And what do we call that when when you become completely dependent? Or dependent on someone else, just to, to start off with. What do you have to have? You have to have trust. See, the Old Testament word that was used more than any other word in that respect was the word trust. Two times it used faith, but how many times, I think there was at least, I, I, I did a count on, on my word count this morning, there was at least 132 times the word was used trust. Sometimes it was used in uh, don't trust this man or so. But for the most cast, you know, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. And that is giving yourself over to that person. Giving yourself over. 
entrusting everything that you have. One of the most beautiful verses in the New Testament to me is when Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Oh, what... What a, what a verse of someone that has completely given everything over and entrusted it to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just a mental ascent. It's a willingness to go wherever Christ goes, to do whatever Christ wants you to do. To, you know, the Bible says, take hold on eternal life. We can't hold on to eternal life ourselves with our own power. But what it means is completely give your life over to Christ in trust. And He will make it happen. Galatians 2.20 I think. says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith had pervaded his life to the point he describes it as Christ living in him. And that's what it is. The Holy Spirit abides in us. The Spirit of Christ abides in us. And everything He does is now motivated by Christ. Just this morning I was re- reading about the biography of a man by the name of Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a, a missionary to South Africa. For 60 years he also... Uh, he wanted to become a minister of the gospel, but not for faith, because it was a good career. He'd get paid for it, have an easy life, he thought. And he went to, to theological school in Netherlands. He ended up in South Africa. And from the Netherlands, he writes to his mother, and he says, weeping, mother, I've been born again. And he goes to South Africa, and he spends 60 years of his life. And he wrote a couple of hundred books, one especially on the book that he talked about, the school of prayer. school of prayer. And he said that he wants every single minute and second of his life to be filled with the joy, the hope, the faith of Christ. Every single passing, fleeting moment of his life. Now that's someone that has his heart possessed with the Holy Spirit. Is, is, is our faith in Christ such that every fleeting second we want to spend it with Christ, for Christ, and for His glory? You see, faith is not just a mental ascent. It's not just a trust. You know, it's not just a trust. It's more than that. Because this, if it's true, the, 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 this 
this this knowledge that God has given us and this trust that we have will eventually um, work its way into obedience, into doing. Because we do what we believe. What we firmly believe is what we will do. And the Old, Test- the, the Old Testament and the New uh, often equated disobedience to unbelief. Look at the he- book of Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. It says, why did they en- not enter into the promised land? Because of their unbelief. Did they believe in God? Of course they did. They were aware of Him. They saw His miracles. They couldn't deny them. But they didn't trust. They trusted more in their own understanding. And that resulted in unbelief, in disobedience, in not doing what they knew was right. You know, I know that many people want to become Christians. Many people would want to reap the benefits of being a Christian, especially the the benefit of eternal life. You know, in John chapter 6, how many times, how many times did Jesus say, Beginning at uh, verse 35. Look, this is, this is a, a fantastic passage to read through. He said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, shall n- and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. <laughs> what was the response of the Samaritan woman? Give me the water that I will never thirst again. Of course, why should... I don't want to come into the well every day. It's burdensome, hot, heavy, difficult. Give me that water that I will never thirst again. Jesus said, if you come to me, you'll never hunger, you'll never thirst. All that which God has given me, I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up again at the last day. And he, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. What a promise. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. This is the bread which came down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh. And I will give it for the whole, the life of the whole world. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat this flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Many people would love the promises of Christ to be saved. To have no more pain, no more suffering, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more ill feelings, whatever it is. But who is willing to eat his flesh and drink his blood? When they heard this saying, it says, many of the seventy that were with him, many turned back 
and walked with him no more. The first thing that they may have said, we don't understand what this man's talking about. He's not going to give us bread. We don't understand what he said. We're leaving. What Jesus was saying, by drinking his blood, eating his flesh, who doesn't take me in, who doesn't receive me. There's a difference with someone walking by your house and you say, I know he's there. There's another thing when you call him in. And faith is calling Him in, inviting Him, wanting Him to be your life, and willing to follow Him wherever He goes. That is this saving faith. Willing to do whatever He says. And Jesus told His disciples, He told them the the fate, or the, the end, should I say, that they will have. He says, they will cast you out of their synagogues. Some will even put you to death, thinking that they're doing God a service. Of Peter specifically, he said, the manner in which Peter would die. And that faith made them persevere. Because they abided in Christ. This woman was tried many times in in, in this chapter. Jesus said to her, um, for the first, after her cry, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away. The first test. Drive her away. Get her out of here. Rejection. But she saw something in this man Jesus that he could do something. He answered, he answered not. Or he answered and said, I am not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You think, well, after that rejection, I'm going, I'm going to bank on something else. She came back. What did she say? Lord, help me. Then he says, it's not fit. It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. And that was the the derogatory term for Gentiles. The Jews considered the Gentiles as dogs, unclean animals. And Jesus used used that metaphor. Could you believe it? But he knew what he was going to say next. He knew what he was going to say next. Because she said, truth Lord, you're right. Yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. <clears throat> Have we come to blocks, blockades in our life, to, to obstacles, to difficulties? We say, well, I've tried, I'm not, that's it, I'm giving up. I'm giving up. I gave him a chance, I'm giving up. It's very tempting, isn't it? Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith. Great is thy faith. 
You see, faith, the type of faith that saves is a type of faith that will grow, especially in adversity. Our faith, God meant it to be such, will grow in adversity. James says that we are to rejoice when fiery trials come upon us. We are to rejoice when you fall into diverse trials and temptations. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have a perfect work, that ye may be perfect and, enti- and entire, wanting nothing. Romans 5, the same thing, very similar. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations. They rejoice in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope makes not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. God works in ways different than men. When, when, when we want patience, God gives us trials. God exercises our faith. The faith that is saving will be allowed to be exercised. The faith that is true will endure tribulation, will endure trials and come out shining brighter and be purer and stronger for the next task. God is not going to bring upon us anything that we cannot bear, but He'll prepare us for the next task by purifying and strengthening our faith through smaller trials. So, faith is not some abstract, irrational entity. It is something that is very rational. We may not understand it, but it's based on rational principles in the Word of God. Knowledge, trust, obedience. And how that all works together, you know, the Holy Spirit knows. How we, together with the Holy Spirit, work together. God knows. But he does expect us to believe. He commands us to repent and believe the gospel. He demands us to repent and be baptized. And if we are truly seeking his will, God will bring that all to pass. We don't have to know all all the, the, the paths and all the intricate details. God will bring it to pass. May the Lord, in his abundant mercy... Grant us all that desire to seek Him, knock, ask, and God will open up doors, not only to our hearts, but to opportunities in ways that we can serve Him more.
to him be the glory evermore. Amen. Brother, find a hymn, please. Do we sing the hymn? Three verses. Twenty-two, three verses.
we, we too may have the faith like our forefathers that through trials and difficulties that we, we may truly lean on thee Lord and, and that thy word may truly be upon us all the time we pray Lord that thou also bless this gathering in that that thou will strengthen us and help us through these dark days so we pray all these things in Jesus name Brother Father concluding you And number world, the so-called great scientists that don't believe in God, um, they don't have the evidence, their conclusive evidence to prove their theories. So what they're really going, what they're really is basing their position on is faith. Faith that one day they're going to come to that answer. I've, I've watched debates with Richard Dawkins and all these people that were so-called so atheists and agnostics, and they're, they're basically saying, well, at least we're trying. We're trying to get to the final answer. But guess what? They don't have the evidence. They just have faith they're going to get to that evidence. How different is that than the Christian? We don't have the evidence on their basis, on their grounds. 
But the difference between us and them is that God reveals it to us directly. God reveals it to us directly. His Holy Spirit gives us that, that assurance, that conviction that what is being said is true. And um, in closing, I'd like to just to read a hymn that most of us, if not all, are very familiar with. Um, we, are, we don't sing it that often, but it's called Trust and Obey. <coughs> Trust and Obey. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still, and with all who would trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear, can abide while we trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Not a grief or a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favour he shows, for the joy he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. May the Lord bless his word. This concludes our service.